Welcome to Think Again, a podcast by Macquarie Asset Management, providing financial advisors with a fresh perspective and innovative insights designed to keep you and your clients a step ahead. Thanks for tuning in to Think Again. I'm Denise St. Ivan. Today, we're discussing the key topics from our recent 2024 outlook, actionable ideas for a world in transition. I'm here with Daniel McCormick, head of research at Macquarie Asset Management, and Derek Hamilton, economist at Macquarie Asset Management. Thank you both for joining me today. Hi, Denise. Great to be with you. Thanks, Denise. It's good to be back. You both contributed your insights to our 2024 outlook, actionable ideas for a world in transition. Transition certainly paints a unique picture of the U.S. economy right now. Inflation is still above central bank targets, GDP growth is slowing, and recession risks are still high. So Derek, let's start with you. Uh, You provide us with regular predictions throughout the year. Can you tell us about the signals or indications that you're keeping your eyes on for 2024 and what investors should also be thinking about in the months ahead? Or maybe what's changed? Sure, Denise. So I guess I would start with saying that we thought a recession would have already begun by now. And I think one of the things that has uh, contributed to uh, the economy in the U.S. avoiding a recession is actually fiscal stimulus. If you look at uh, government spending, uh, it's been very strong over the last few quarters. And uh, if you look at hiring in particular, so job growth, uh, job growth has been slowing in the U.S., but is still holding up reasonably well. 30% of that hiring has come from government over the last six months. So uh, there's a lot of, of stimulus that has continued to be put into the economy from the government side. And that boost has been more than what we had expected. We believe that that stimulus should be ending going forward. So uh, there is a budget deal that was recently struck that uh, will essentially keep non-defense spending flat for the current fiscal year. Defense spending will be up something like 3%. So on the federal side, uh, we think that that stimulus is is clearly waning. Recession is still our base case, and there are several indicators that we think are pointing to the fact that the recession is is increasingly close. Uh, one thing that we've noticed is I mentioned the the strength in the employment numbers. Uh, these employment numbers have been getting revised downward, and the 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 magnitude of the downward revisions that we've seen over the past year typically only happen uh, during recessions or leading up to a recession. And so that's just one example that uh, if you if you parse through the data, uh, giving us comfort that, that the recession is in fact uh, still ahead of us. Now, I, I think it would be helpful to talk a, a little bit about um, uh, some of the areas in the economy that we think are going to be coming under pressure. We think that uh, growth in consumer spending is unsustainable. Uh, if you look at the growth rate of consumer spending, it has been above the growth rate of disposable income in the back half of 2023, which tells us that the the pace of consumer spending is likely unsustainable. We expect those growth rates to converge and see uh, consumption move down towards disposable income. The savings rate is too low. It's much lower than what it has been historically. So we think that that's going to start to tick higher, and that would, again, put downward pressure on consumption. And uh, one of the key drivers of income growth is employment. So as employment growth slows, we expect income growth to continue to slow as well. 
Uh, outside of consumption, we think that capital spending uh, is, is set to weaken as well. Capital spending is very cyclical. If you look at the leading indicators of capital spending, they're pointing to a pretty significant deterioration going forward. This is looking at uh, surveys from the Federal Reserve. There are surveys out there that actually uh, ask capital equipment dealers, what does business look like? We look at uh, indices that uh, the um, architectural um, billings index, for example, uh, indices that give a precursor to uh, capital spending activity. All of these are hooking lower. And I think that's something that's pretty notable. Um, the And it's not just on the equipment side. Commercial real estate has been very strong. Uh, that has primarily been driven by manufacturing. If you look at uh, where that strength has been coming from, the government passed the CHIPS Act, which has boosted the construction of semiconductor plants. Uh, we have battery plants for electric vehicles that uh, construction has been very strong in that area. And so that's been boosting commercial real estate investment over the past year. But even excluding manufacturing, I think that commercial real estate has held up much better than what I would have thought. Uh, I, I think that's going to slow from here. We have a number of, again, leading indicators that are pointing to uh, weakness on the construction side going forward. Uh, on the inflation side, uh, inflation has been heading lower, which we expect, and we think that it's going to continue to head lower. Uh, currently, both headline and core inflation is near two and a half year lows. Uh, the six month change in the core is actually below 3% now, which is quite notable given where we've come from. And um, as I said, I think we're going to see inflation move lower from here. We've already seen goods inflation come down. Uh, we expect services inflation, which has started to top out. That's going to be the next leg down. There's a, a lag that takes place between uh, what has happened to property prices and, and how that feeds into the inflation metrics. So that lag is going to continue to put downward pressure on the services side of inflation, as well as general economic activity. So uh, typically services inflation follows economic growth. And as economic growth slows, in our opinion, we think that that would put some downward pressure on the uh, inflation side, uh, particularly for services as well. Well, we did see some resiliency in the U.S. economy uh, here in 2023. But, Daniel, you're outside of the U.S. You're based in Europe. So we'd love to get your thoughts on the macro themes and, and what you're seeing beyond the U.S. Thanks very much, Denise. And, and the story outside of the U.S. is actually one of much greater weakness. I mean, the US, I think, within the developed world has really been a growth bright spot over the last sort of 12 or 18 months or so. And I would say that Europe, both Europe and the UK entered recession in the third quarter of this year. They saw very mild declines in GDP quarter on quarter, um, but we'd expect to see uh, further declines in the fourth quarter and into early next year. Um, so creating the, the technical definition of a recession. But the story for Europe really is one of a shift in the shocks. So if, if you recall, um, if we go back to when the conflict in the Ukraine started, which is almost two years ago now, February 2022, believe it or not, um, you know, we saw a huge surge in energy costs in Europe as uh, the supply of natural gas from, from Russia really waned. And so we saw natural gas prices go up a lot. 
they're kind of the marginal price setter for electricity for a lot of European countries. So electricity prices went up a lot, and that had a real impact on household disposable income and on corporate cost bases. And that caused economic activity to slow and slow fairly sharply. And uh, over that period, over sort of the, the last sort of 12, 18 months or so, I would say the UK and European economies have stagnated. Some quarters have seen positive growth, some quarters have seen negative growth, but broadly speaking, they've been in uh, a period of, of stagnation. But I think now we're shifting. We're shifting away from the energy price shock uh, that we saw that is waning. Prices have come back down um, and households and corporates have adjusted uh, somewhat. Uh, and we're moving into a period where higher interest rates are increasingly starting to bite on the European economies. And you can see it in the housing markets, which have rolled over here. You can see it in corporate investment plans, uh, which have, like in the US, have really started to weaken. You can see it in credit demand, which is extremely weak on continental Europe. The ECB has a survey of credit demand. It goes back to 2003. And the latest data show the weakest credit demand in the history of that series. So the weakest credit demand for 20 years. Um, so, so interest rates are clearly biting. And we think they will increasingly do so over the next sort of six nine months or so. So I think I think Europe and the UK are in the midst of, of, of a mild recession that will continue through until until the middle of next year. And if we think about that in the context of uh, the outlook for the US economy, which Derek just talked about, you know, I think it adds up to a pretty weak first half of the year in terms of developed world growth. Now, I, I think Europe and the UK will probably emerge from recession some point in the second half of the year and maybe towards the tail end of next year. US growth is perhaps starting to turn around. Derek may have some views on that. And so at that point, the developed world growth picture starts to look quite a bit better. But I think for the first sort of six, nine months of the year, it's going to be really, really quite sluggish. And I, I, I think, you know, for investors, one of the big questions in terms of, you know, implications for investing and, and risk assets is this this sort of offset, if you like, between on the one hand, we're going to have really weak growth. On the other, we're going to see interest rates being cut. It's not just the Fed that will be cutting next year. The ECB will be cutting. The Bank of England probably uh, will follow sometime around mid-year or shortly thereafter. So across the developed world, we're going to see interest rates falling uh, while growth is weak. Now, Historically, that combination has actually been a negative for risk assets, right? The, the the recession effect trumps the falling interest rate effect. But I think it does depend on how severe the recessions are and how much central banks cut. And I agree with Derek. I think central banks could be cutting quite a lot next year, particularly if growth disappoints. Um, and one of the key points really is the starting point for interest rates. You, you're well above neutral now. The Fed has signaled that... Um, with inflation now heading back towards 2%, they can move policy back to neutral. I think the ECB and the Bank of England are thinking in similar ways. And if we were to get sort of, the, you know, negative growth surprise on top of that, the kind of growth outlook we're talking about here, you could easily justify loose monetary policy, right? You could justify central banks taking it below neutral. So I think we're going to see significant interest rate cuts across the developed world next year and, and sort of, you know, how that impacts uh, risk assets in terms of, you know, which sectors it benefits less and more, I think will be a key theme. So you touched on a number of areas in which we could see some shifts this year. Uh, one of the shifts that I think could uh, end up being on the dramatic side is in the AI world. So companies are really poised to benefit from this technical revolution that is underway. So what about some of the short and long-term impacts you see for the year ahead, Derek? So 
I, I think from a short-term perspective, I would be watching investment. So I mentioned earlier the amount of investment that uh, companies have been putting in, you know, for instance, on semiconductors, uh, some of the, the green uh, tech type of initiatives, uh, things like that. And I, I, I think investment in uh, technology and AI-related uh, investments will be uh, continuing to be a focus for companies and continue to be an area of strength. The government is obviously pushing this very heavily, and uh, I think that that is going to continue to be a theme on their front because they want to make sure that we have technological independence and superiority in some of these areas, particularly in AI. So I would think that we would have more government support for uh, investment in these areas. Uh, the other thing I think we need to think about is we have been in a an environment of uh, short labor over the past couple of years. In other words, it's been very hard for companies to find the workers that they need. And uh, the investments in AI are probably going to allow companies to continue to substitute capital for labor uh, to try to mitigate that labor shortage. And I think that that's only beginning and we'll see that uh, pick up steam uh, in 2024 and in the coming years. Now, I think from a, a macro perspective, the big thing that we need to talk about is if in fact uh, AI is a game changer, so to speak, uh, it could eventually lead to a pickup in productivity. Uh, productivity is so important for the health of an economy. If you have stronger productivity growth, uh, that allows for uh, stronger GDP growth in an economy, and that's GDP growth that is non-inflationary. So what happens is uh, productivity is a key input that allows uh, what's called potential growth, uh, the, the pace at which an economy can grow without uh, creating inflation. It allows potential growth to uh, move higher on a consistent basis. And so uh, an environment uh, several years from now where productivity is accelerating, we have stronger economic growth, uh, That that's definitely a positive, especially given the, the backdrop that we have with high debt levels. Um, a, a, a period where we have strong GDP growth allows you to work down your uh, debt issues uh, more efficiently and less painfully. And so uh, a strong economy would, for example, allow the U.S. government to hopefully deal with the uh, excessive debt levels that we have and bring those down uh, without onerous tax hikes or onerous spending cuts. So th that's the positive view from a macro perspective that we can foresee if, in fact, uh, the AI revolution really does pick up steam. Derek, I, I hear you on AI's impact on on productivity, which is which is which is crucially important. I guess, what, what do you think is the lag here? You know, sometimes sometimes the lag between a sort of technological innovation and its impact on productivity and growth can be quite long. Sometimes it it, it can be quite short. Um, how long do you think it'll be before we see the impact of AI, you know, in the actual numbers, in the productivity numbers, in the GDP numbers? 
That's an interesting question, Daniel. I think the, the correct answer is no one knows. <laughs> uh, but uh, my best guess, if you think about how quickly some of this uh, technology is being implemented, I would think it would be more on the shorter side versus what we have seen uh, historically. So meaning, you know, we're, we're talking in uh, years, not decades, right? So it could be in a few years that we start to see productivity really starting to pick up if, in fact, uh, uh, companies implement this in ways that I think could be uh, beneficial, in particular, like I mentioned, uh, substituting capital for labor. Yeah, I think there's good reasons to think that that lag has shortened over time, right? It's just just given how interconnected we are these days, like the means of communication, the news flow um, globally just means that I think innovations can can sort of spill out into, into the real economy faster than they did in, in decades gone by. I think, you know, the AI revolution is probably you know, more beneficiary, more beneficial for the US, right? I mean, that that is where it's happening. The US is at the forefront of it. Um, in Europe, European companies will, will certainly adopt it, no, no doubt about it, um, but they're probably just likely to be a little bit slower to do so and just, just a little bit, you know, behind the US curve in, in terms of implementation. But I think the, the impact in terms of um, productivity and GDP growth in Europe will probably lag the US slightly. At this point, let's switch over to the world of fixed income. Uh, Daniel, what are you expecting to see in bonds this year? Yeah, we we like the outlook for bonds for this year. And I would say there are a couple of points here. The, the first point is that the starting point in terms of yield is excellent, right? We're currently seeing yields across the developed world. We really haven't seen on a consistent basis since prior to the global financial crisis. So, so these are yields we haven't seen for 15 or, or 16 years. So, so bonds are all of a sudden, you know, a very real option uh, for investors, whereas for, for quite some time, just before COVID hit there, you, would, you, you wouldn't necessarily say that. So, so that's one positive. I think, I think the other positive is, you know, we're going to see interest rate cuts from central banks next year, and, and some of that is in the market, right? So, so the question for bonds, for longer dated bonds is, will we see more cuts than is priced into futures markets at the moment. And I think that really turns on growth. So if you look at what is priced into the Fed Fund's futures curve, for example, for next year, it is roughly speaking returning the Fed Fund's rate, I would say, to a roundabout neutral. So, so the Fed has already basically articulated that they're going to do that, right? As in they think the inflation problem is solved. And, and if that remains the case, then they shift policy down to neutral and those expectations are roughly met. But if we get a negative growth surprise, sort of as I talked about earlier, I think the Fed uh, would be very justified in taking policy below neutral, um, which would mean more than is currently priced in in futures markets. So if we get the economic outlook that we're talking about, you're going to see more cuts than the market is expecting. Uh, that means that bond yields will, will, will fall and bond prices uh, will rally, which, which will add to return. So I think both the yield starting point and the macroeconomic outlook are, are conducive uh, two bonds for, for this year. So so it's overall, I think it's a it's a strong outlook. The the perhaps if we're thinking about bonds sort of more broadly than just, just government bonds or, or risk-free bonds, talking about the credit spectrum, the observation I would make is that I think credit spreads are, are roughly not aligned with the economic outlook that Derek and I have articulated. As in spreads are 
depends upon which credit bucket you're looking at, but they're generally speaking below long-run average levels, whereas during recessions, they tend to go above long-run average levels. So I think it's a it's a good outlook for sort of risk-free or very low risk credit. I think the further you get out the risk spectrum, there's a risk that that widening in credit spreads, you know, undermines your returns a bit. Um, so I think I think the outlook there is 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 kind of uh, less strong uh, than it is, you know, lower down lower down the risk risk the, the credit and, and, and risk spectrum. What about municipal? Same level of excitement there. Yeah, the, the same things apply to municipal bonds, Denise. We we, we think the yield starting point is is good and you know as i mentioned if we get the kind of economic outlook that 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 derek and i have talked about uh it should be it should be a good year for, for munis and you know overall we just think that they offer a pretty good uh risk adjusted return opportunity right now thank you both for all of your thoughts today uh you've given us a lot to think about and unpack in this conversation we'll be sure to follow up with you both as the year progresses so derek and daniel thank you very much for both being here today and joining us don't forget you can read all the insights from our investment teams and actionable ideas for a world in transition just visit delawarefunds.com outlooks to learn more thanks for listening Check out the show notes for more information on topics from this episode. And be sure to subscribe to Think Again, wherever you get your podcasts. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Investing involves risk including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objective will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation, and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warrant expressed or implied is made as to the accuracy of completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Macquarie Asset Management is a full-service asset manager offering a diverse range of products across public and private markets, including fixed income, equities, multi-asset solutions, private credit, infrastructure, renewables, natural assets, real estate, and asset finance. The public investment business is a part of Macquarie Asset Management and includes investment products and advisory services distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors, LP, a registered broker slash dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. 
advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of MIMBT. Macquarie Group refers to Macquarie Group Limited and its subsidiaries and affiliates worldwide. Delaware Funds by Macquarie refers to certain investment solutions that Macquarie Asset Management Public Investments distributes, offers, refers, or advises. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, any Macquarie Group entity noted in this podcast is not an authorized deposit-taking institution for the purposes of the Banking Act 1959. The obligations of these other Macquarie Group entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank. Macquarie Bank does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these Macquarie Group entities. In addition, if this podcast relates to an investment, the investor is subject to investment risk, including possible delays in repayment and loss of income and principal invested, and none of the Macquarie Bank or any other Macquarie Group entity guarantees any particular rate of return on or the performance of the investment, nor do they guarantee repayment of capital in respect of the investment.